Welcome to the Diocesan Digest, a news outlet for the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma. I'm your host, Sarah Smith, Director of Media and Technology. In these short episodes, we will share the latest news, ministry stories, clergy, spotlights, and much more about the Diocese of Oklahoma each week. If you or your congregation wants to share a ministry story or other important news item, or even a particular topic you want to see covered on the podcast, please contact me at smith at epiok.org. Today on the podcast, we have our new canon to the ordinary, the Reverend Canon Eric Cooter is our guest. I do a sort of get-to-know-you chat with him about his life, what brought him to the church, his background in business, and his love for flying. As I've gotten to know Canon Eric, I can tell y'all he is a bright spirit that radiates so much positivity and love. And y'all are going to enjoy his presence in this position, in this diocese, I'm sure of it. So let's dive in and get to know Canon Eric. Here we go. All right. Welcome, everyone, to our live interview with our wonderful new Canon to the Ordinary, the Reverend Canon Eric Cooter. How are you doing today, sir? Hi, Sarah. Hey, everybody. It's good to be with you all. And thank you for doing this, Sarah. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. We're so excited for this new transition. And we've had some great can to the ordinaries. So, you know, you got some big shoes to fill. And we're <laughs> just want to hype you up because you're a really cool dude. And we want folks to get to know you and your really interesting background. So all right. thank you so much for being here. Glad to be doing it. Yeah, and folks are slowly showing up online. Good to see you, Larry Rogers. Um, okay, well, let's start with your background. Let's talk about your church background. You know, how did you come to the Episcopal Church and where did you grow up? Things like that. Okay. Um, so I grew up in uh, a little town in East Tennessee. Um, and uh, it's, it was east of Knoxville, west of the Tri-Cities, uh, the town um, was called Greenville. And uh, growing up, my, my parents uh, uh, and, and, and my siblings, we attended a Methodist church, a little rural Methodist church until probably my teen years. Uh, and then we started uh, the, uh, going to a Baptist church. And I went to, a, a, like, uh, they had a little private Christian school and I went there for three years. Um, and, um, you know, my, my walk with God has always been a part of my life. Um, and um, it, then when I went off to college, I kind of did what a lot of uh, kids in college do. I kind of walked away from church a little bit until um, I was uh, probably a young adult. My, my brother said, um, hey, have you ever heard of the Episcopal Church? And I went, no. And he says, you got to check it out. And so I, I still remember the first time that I went to um, a Holy Eucharist service in this little church in Greenville, Tennessee, and it just captured me. Uh, there was just something about the Eucharist and the music and the history and the beauty of, of 
the Episcopal Church and I was hooked. And it wasn't long before, you know, I said, I want to go through confirmation. So I went through confirmation and um, I just loved it. And I love the Episcopal Church ever since. And um, so that's a little bit of my, my background as far as coming to, uh, to this beautiful tradition that we're a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, your other question, I think you asked me about my call to the priesthood. Yeah. So um, I, I've, I, my early part of my career was in retail. I was uh, a national trainee with Sears, and I worked in the stores for a few years. Uh, I had a couple different assignments, and then I went to the corporate buying office. And then, um, um, you know, I, I, w- I would go to an Episcopal church in each one of those little towns and, and just fell in love with it. Um, I love the liturgy, but I always felt like I was kind of struggling to get connected. You know, coffee hour was kind of hard to kind of connect sometimes. And so I never, it really never kind of stuck uh, uh, very deeply until uh, when my wife's father became pretty ill. We moved to, uh, to um, uh, Naples, Florida to uh, care for him. Um, and then soon after he passed away, we felt really called to get really involved in church. And we found this church, uh, this congregation that was about two miles away from our house. Um, and it was actually a Lutheran and Episcopal Federated congregation. And this quirky little parish, uh, we didn't even know it was close to us. So we went for the first Sunday and something happened that had never happened to us in all the churches we visited. We walk up to the welcome desk and there was this real nice couple there asking us information. They were really good marketers. You know, they were getting all the all the data so they could send us some uh, some advertisements. But there was this one couple there that for some reason I connected to him. His name was Kurt. And uh, Kurt did something no one else had ever done before. He said, would are you all new? And yeah. And he says, it's kind of hard to be new at a new church. And I said, yeah, it's kind of tough to figure this out. And he said, would you and your wife like to sit with me and my wife? And I was like, well, that's never happened before. And so what wound up happening out of that invitation was a deep on abiding friendship with, with Kurt and his wife, Carol, and uh, just fell in love with him. And he kind of like became my, my spiritual mentor. And I still remember teaching Bible and I never really pursued to the ordination. I never really I kind of sensed something was going on, but I didn't know. And then I remember being in, in a, a Bible study with Kurt that he and I were co-leading one Sunday. He hands me this book and he says, I want you to read this chapter about this young man who had a great business career. Um, but then all of a sudden he, he felt something was going on in his life and he felt called to ordain ministry. And he says, I almost didn't give this to you, but I want you to read it. And so he gives me the book and I go home and tears are just pouring down my eyes. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is my story. And I go back to him, I hand him a book and I said, thank you, but no, thank you. Well, it wasn't, a, <laughs> it wasn't a month later. Now I was on, we called it a board of trustees because it was a federated congregation, but I was on the board of trustees, the vestry, and I was the treasurer for the, the congregation. And I remember after one of the vestry meetings, the, the Lutheran pastor and the Episcopal priest called me in the office and they said, we need to ask you something. And I'm like, oh my Lord, I'm the treasurer. What's happened? What have I done? No, no, no. We need to ask you something. They went, okay. And they said, have you ever felt called to ordain ministry? And I went, what? <laughs> and that was kind of where it all started. Someone saw gifts in me that I didn't see in myself. And um, that's kind of been the way that I've worked with people who are discerning a call or somebody that's struggling in their ministry is, is I want to be able to see gifts in them that they can't see in themselves and help them to unpack those because it happened for me. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I came to begin a, a call about discerning my call to the priesthood. That's awesome. And maybe you just touched on it a little bit, but for folks who don't know what the role is of the canon to the ordinary, 
um, maybe you could kind of explain that in a little detail for people. Okay. You know, I think um, I, I've, I worked on uh, the staff of, of Bishop Dabney Smith in Southwest Florida for about five years, and I was a canon for ministry development. And in that role, uh, I oversaw uh, the transition process when churches, um, when a priest retires, resigns, moves on, a church goes into transition. And uh, I actually helped them go through that process of calling their next priest. Um, I also helped the bishop by uh, coordinating the ordination process. So part of the can of the ordinary position here is to do those things that I did in Southwest Florida. Um, but I think it's different in each diocese, but I think one of the things that I think is the most important role of the can of the ordinary is to, um, to actually be a counselor and uh, uh, a guide and a support um, uh, on multiple levels uh, to support the ministry of the bishop. Uh, and, and just to be someone who can give uh, counsel and advice and, and, and help the bishop do his ministry. Um, in some dioceses, the candidate ordinary serves as chief of staff. Um, and so I think it, it's different in each diocese. But I think here, I think the most important role I have is, one, the task things that I have is to oversee the ordination process or help oversee the ordination process with the bishop, the commission on ministry, the standing committee. Um, but also to, uh, to handle the transitions. Um, but there's a lot of other things that, you know, that part in all job descriptions that says other duties assigned. Right. Uh, that, that makes up a lot of the bulk of a candidate ordinary position, I think. But uh, I'm just thrilled to be here and to be a part of this and to help Bishop Polson and you all. You're such, such an awesome staff. And just to be able to support you all in what you do. I think that's probably the most important thing I can do. And, and more than that is to, to support our clergy uh, in their ministries and to support our congregations. I think the diocese functions uh, in its primary ministry is to support the, the ministry and mission of the congregations in that diocese. And so that's, that's what I see as the most important thing for me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's someone on here from, or someone that said they know Greenville, Tennessee and they lived in Chattanooga. So we've got some Tennessee folks in Oklahoma. So they just wanted you to know that Go balls. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I was curious learning about your background and more in business and marketing is how that transition's been and like what kind of skill sets do you think will bode well for this position and in, in the diocese? Because I think they're really cool. That's just a neat background that, that definitely helps the diocese because we are kind of a bigger organization that kind of runs like a business you know there's money involved and assets and things and and we just had a conversation this morning about marketing so, <laughs> so what do you think um how has that been helpful your background in business you know i think um on a lot of different levels i i worked for a large corporation uh, uh more of a, a regional retailer at one time but i worked for sears corporate 800 stores nationwide big strategy uh, and as an associate buyer, my my role was to actually deal with the marketing and the product selection and things like that and dealing with uh, multiple constituents. I dealt with vendors and I dealt with uh, uh, suppliers that were doing manufacturing. I dealt with um, uh, salespeople. I dealt with uh, internal people on staff. And, and we all had this common mission of offering our customers the best products we could at the best price and the quickest delivery. That was kind of our mantra. I think that's all of those kind of skills and marketing and finance and, and dealing with people 
whatever you do as a priest, uh, as a clergy person can be helpful. And I know a lot of our clergy have our second, third career people. Um, I also, when we moved to Florida to take care of my wife's father, I went, I'm also a flight instructor and a commercial pilot. Um, and I actually ran my own little company for a while. Didn't do that well, but I ran my own little company for a little while. So I've got this entrepreneurial spirit, um, which comes, I think from, um, my dad was a small business owner growing up. So, um, I think all those things teaches us how to, um, manage multiple tasks, um, how to have a strategic viewpoint on things and how to really work with people. Because I think in leadership, no matter if it's in business or whatever organization, um, leadership is actually helping other people to do a common mission together. So. Absolutely. And our goal here, as someone pointed out, is to help folks live out their baptismal covenant and community with one another. Um, Absolutely. And then I got another Vols fan, Mary Susan Whaley is from ah. <laughs> Miami and she's said, 13 years in Knoxville, my bro- my blood is orange through and through. Go Vols indeed. Ah, amen. Amen. <laughs> I, uh, it, I, living in Florida for almost 20 years, it was difficult to be a UT fan in the midst of all those Gator fans. So uh, yeah, my blood's still... Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just jumping back for a second you're right you know i think the 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 mission of the church is to bring all people into unity with god and each other in christ and that comes out of the book of common prayer uh and it's not just a trite saying i think truly that's what we're called to do is to be christ's hands and feet in the world to be evangelists which i think is a little scary for people these days especially we episcopalians we think evangelism is a dirty word maybe but i think it's what we're called to do and that's our mission mm-hmm Absolutely. Okay, let's get into something more fun and interesting about you. You talked about how you're a pilot. I want to know, like, how did you get into flying and talk to about your ministry with the armed forces? Because you've been a chaplain for a while. And I think you're still doing that role here in Oklahoma. I am. I am. Yeah. So um, uh, I'm I'm a member of the Civil Air Patrol, which is the U.S. Air Force Auxiliary. Uh, It's been around since the 1940s. Um, Civil Air Patrol has about 65,000 members nationwide. Uh, it's the official auxiliary of the Air Force, and we do uh, about 90 to 95% of all search and rescue for downed airplanes in the U.S. Uh, we have one of the largest general aviation fleets in the U.S., um, and as the Air Force Auxiliary, we, we have funding that comes through the federal government, through the Air Force, to do this mission, and uh, I actually we also do other, other things for the, for the Air Force too, some other missions that we're doing now in addition to that. But um, I joined Civil Air Patrol at the age of 15. I was in the cadet program. Wow. And um, I fell in love with it. Um, and I went through the whole cadet program. I uh, finished up as a spots cadet, which is uh, the highest award as a cadet. Uh, I went to different camps at um, uh, Fort Bragg, Fort Campbell, Pope Air Force Base, uh, several different places. I went to Columbus Air Force Base in Mississippi for a training class about how pilots get trained. Um, and while I was in Civil Air Patrol, I uh, started flying with my dad at Morristown Airport. Um, Morristown uh, is the home of uh, Evelyn Brian Johnson, who the late Evelyn Brian Johnson, who was also a Civil Air Patrol member. But at one time, she was in the Guinness Book of World Records as having logged the most hours of any human being. She never served in the military. She was a, she was a uh, an instructor pilot. She was also an FAA examiner, and she lived until she was 102. 
She flew until she was 96 years old. And I was 15. She was 70. And my dad introduced me and said, this is your flight instructor. And I went, where? She says, right there. She was the most incredible instructor. She was a deeply committed Christian who taught me more about God and God's beauty in that airplane and the beauty of God's creation. Um, so anyway, I started flying at 15. I soloed on my 16th birthday. Uh, I, I got my private pass license at 18, and then I stopped flying for about 12 years. Um, uh, but I, and I left Civil Air Patrol for about 12 years. And then in 2000, 1999, uh, I rejoined. And uh, soon after seminary, and I was serving my first parish, I wanted to do something to serve the community so I can have an outside interest uh, as well. And uh, they talked me into joining the chaplain corps. And so I served uh, as the squadron chaplain in uh, a squadron in Punta Gorda, Florida. And then I was the group chaplain, which oversaw um, different squadron chaplains. And then um, I... um, then I uh, was promoted to wing chaplain for the whole state of Florida. And then a year later, I was asked to serve as the region chaplain for all the chaplains in Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands. And um, so when I got this call, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to give that up. And then um, the chief of chaplains connected me with the Southwest region chaplain here. And uh, now I'm her deputy. So I actually help oversee the chaplain corps in the southwestern region of the U.S. So um, it's really a part of my life. It's a way that I get to serve my country. It's a way I can serve the members of Civil Air Patrol. And it's a way I can still stay in the air and fly and, and do some things I love to do. That's so cool. And just goes to show how like widespread ministry can be you know Mm -hmm. ministry isn't just the parish community which is wonderful and great but there's so many other opportunities which i've really enjoyed getting to talk to you about my career and like my future um as larry pointed out like you're you'll be an integral part to my um formation as a postulant and onto the priesthood and and what opportunities are available that might not be traditional opportunities so that's really neat to to see you do that Thank you. It's given me the opportunity to minister to people and be a priest to people um, in ways that just that having been in a parish and serving, it gives me a way to actually relate to and and share the gospel with people that I never would have the opportunity. And I can connect with them as a pilot, like they're a pilot or with a cadet who I can say I used to be a cadet just opens up the whole door for for ministry. I never thought of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe let's last couple questions here. What do you think about this time we're in right now? And what do you, what do you think the spirit has to teach us during this? What a lot of priests lately have been calling Corona tide. Corona tide. COVID tide. COVID tide. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, let me, let me kind of speak from my own parish experience as a rector. Um, when when all this started, it was kind of like this um, this you know have you take a snowball on a big hill and you start pushing it and it's small but the further it goes the bigger it gets and I just remember early on when this started coming out we were talking about we can't share a common cup and we're not going to exchange the peace and then all of a sudden we can no longer meet and then um, now what do you do and I think one of the the things that I feel was helpful for me as I, I have a, some technical background. I know how to do 
Facebook and YouTube videos and things like that. Um, and luckily in my parish where I was serving, we had just invested some money in putting in a camera system so we could do live videos of Sunday services. So we already had that in place. Um, but just trying to coordinate pastoral care, how do you do that now? And, and how do you, how do you go visit people in the hospital when, you know, the hospital where I was located, one of the hospitals, you, you couldn't, you know, you could call in, but you couldn't go visit. So as, as clergy, we are so challenged to do ministry in the midst of this where a hug is comforting or, or holding someone's hand you can't do. And you have to be very creative. You have to be very um, dedicated to trying new things. Um, and you have to be very flexible. And I think um, um, I, on, the, on the clergy call the other day, I heard so many great creative ideas coming from our clergy that it was, it was actually inspiring. And, and maybe what's happening in the midst of all this, as challenging as it is for us, and, and like I said, I've been a rector, so I know what it's like. I just, just left a parish recently, which is difficult to leave a parish in the midst of that. But um, is, is maybe the Spirit's calling us to adapt. Mm you know, and, and, and to adapt in ways that we never thought of. And, and I love what my bishop, my former bishop said, Bishop Dabney, he said, you know, he said, the church isn't closed. We're just doing ministry in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't close our doors ever. We're, we're just doing things differently. Um, and I, so I think the spirit is calling us to, to adapt in ways that we've been reluctant to. Um, but I think it's having a great impact on our reach. For instance, you know, our average Sunday attendance was what it was. But when we started live streaming on, on YouTube in the midst of all this, we were connecting with people we had ne not connected to in a long time. Plus we had people that were watching Sunday worship that never had. So, you know, I just think, yes, it's difficult. And, and I would just encourage my clergy colleagues, priests and deacons, you got to find balance because I found myself working sometimes, you know, 14, 15 hours and, and really had no downtime. So mm -hmm. I think, we have to adapt. We have to be creative. We have to share ideas with one another. We have to continue to, to be evangelists. We still have to take care of our people. And sometimes a phone call is all you can do and that's fine, but you got to find balance in your life. You got to take some time down. You got to take some time with your family um, because I think the spirit is moving in the midst of this. And I think the church is still going to have some really effective ministry. I know we all long to get back together um, and I, and that will happen someday. So I think there's great hope too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to wrap up, is there anything you've enjoyed getting to know about Oklahoma so far or any first impressions you have or funny stories about being here in a new culture, a new space? Wow. Um, you know, I think one of the things that Terry and I fell in love with when we first came to visit, because we got to meet all the staff and everything, that's one is the staff of the, of the diocesan office was not surprising, but just really great to have that uh, that connection. But, you know, I grew up in East Tennessee where hard work, hospitality, and friendliness is like, in, it's just literally infused in the culture. And I'm finding that in Oklahoma. The people are friendly. I've, I've never been welcomed so well in all my life. It's just been great. Um, I, I love the area. I love the barbecue, by the way, I'm just saying. Um, that's familiar uh, to me to have good barbecue. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know, it just, I, since we've been here, and I think Terry would, would agree, it just feels like home in a real short period of time. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, funny stories. Um, 
nothing yet, but I'll let you know when I have one. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time, Kane and Eric. And we're so glad you and Terry are here. And we look forward to getting to know y'all more and seeing what wonderful things happen so far. I mean, we've already got a new dean of the cathedral. I mean, you're already moving and shaking over there. So (laughs) we're excited. Oh, thanks, Sarah. And thanks everybody for tuning in. If I can help you all in any way, if you, if you need anything, don't hesitate to call me. I'm always here for you. Excellent. All right, y'all. Thanks for joining us. Peace out. Peace, everybody. Thanks for joining us, y'all. Be sure to sign up for the Diocesan Newsletter at our website, epiok.org newsletter. And follow us on all of our social media platforms to stay up to date on what's going on in the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma. See y'all next week, and peace be with you.